Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football season is right around the corner, and Bet Online has you covered with all of the college and pro odds, contests, parlays, and wagers. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast We are once again live on the Believe Podcast Network, except we are not live because, as always, this is a podcast and podcasts aren't live. You can listen to podcasts whenever and however you'd like to. You can stop in on Monday, you can stop in on Tuesday, you can stop in on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We will have episodes every single day for you. You can stop in on this fine day, which according to my count is Monday, August 22nd. You can stop in next August 22nd. However, and whenever you may be listening, we appreciate you stopping in on a Monday. Hope you are having a fantabulous summer and a fantabulous August thus far. We have a new friend of the show joining us here today. His name is Ryan Cohen. Ryan is... uh, Someone who I guess I can relate to a lot. Uh, Growing up in San Diego, moved to Northern California to go to college, literally the same school. He he lived like five blocks away from where I lived. And uh, both of us graduated college this last year. It's a weird coincidence, but uh, both of us are big-time, lifelong Padres fans. And Ryan is uh, what I'm going to dub the king of Padres Twitter. He's been subtweeted by the Detroit Tigers. He's even got a couple of fun sources within the club. I mean, Ryan's got all the connections to the Padres. We're going to talk with him coming up in a bit. We were originally going to do a podcast when the Juan Soto trade broke, and uh, we kind of filtered it down through the rest of August. And now we have a Padres podcast in the middle of August. For the third consecutive Monday, we are going to talk about the Padres You guys have actually been engaging a lot with these podcasts, so I won't say that you hate when I talk about the Padres, but we are going to talk about the Padres again. One of the top podcasts, not just on the Believe Podcast Network, but anywhere in podcasts and radio, let's call it, covering the San Diego Padres outside of San Diego, because obviously you can't listen to San Diego radio shows on podcasts unless they have podcasts, but some of them do, some of them don't. This is one of the best places you can stop to get San Diego Padres information. And by the way, even if you can listen to those San Diego radio shows or those San Diego podcasts and you really want all the information on the Padres, those podcasts cannot deliver you a Star Wars parody that is designed around the San Diego Padres as the resistance and the Holy Dodger Empire that reigns across the galaxy. Only we can deliver that to you. Episode 4 
the Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. Only we can deliver that to you. Only this podcast can deliver you that amazing Star Wars parody with so many layered baseball references that even I'm reminded of just how funny it was that I had uh, parodied Lord Hater. And by the way, Lord Hater is now like falling apart with the Padres. He, he has the worst ERA in baseball and the, the Padres gave him a reprieve as closer just to kind of clear his mind a little bit because... Uh, Lord Hader has fallen apart ever since he has joined the resistance. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Padres, and uh, I mentioned earlier that it's going to be very Padres heavy. If you've ever been someone who loves a sports team with a fervent passion, or you're someone who loves the place that you come from and has immense pride for your uh, hometown, I think it'll be pretty easy to relate to the conversations that 
Ryan and I are having because both of us are born and raised in San Diego, moved away from San Diego, and part of our connection to our hometown is through our sports team and the communal grief that is the San Diego sports curse. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation regardless of where you come from, especially if you're proud of your hometown and still root for your hometown sports teams. I think you will find it to be a a very emotionally charming conversation. And of course, we'll talk about all the other stuff going on in baseball. We talk about the Astro scandal. We talk about Fernando Tatis. All the stuff that we've been talking about for the past two Mondays now make it three Mondays because we recorded this uh, podcast between myself and Ryan prior to Sunday morning in which we got the report from our good friend of the show, Bob Nightingale. Bob Nightingale was on the show last Wednesday, and I wish that he would have been on the show this week instead of last week, but I'm not going to ask Bob to come on as a, a weekly host of the show. It's amazing enough that Bob comes on the show in the first place. But friend of the show, Bob Nightingale, has been doing some reporting, and in his news and notes with USA Today, he uh, brought up the headline that that made news on Sunday, which was obviously a slow news weekend, uh, a couple injuries in NFL preseason, Uh, Some stories with the Little League World Series. Pretty slow news weekend. WNBA playoffs were going on this weekend. This this was one of those weekends during the summer where, like, everyone freaks out about LeBron James and Jason Tatum at a pro-am. That's kind of the weekend it was, is where everyone, when you see, like, the top headlines on the news bar in sports, it's like, hey, LeBron James against Jason Tatum playing at this pro-am tournament in Seattle. And uh, DeJounte Murray is there. And... Uh, you can also see Paolo Bancaro for two minutes, and I think the, the game got postponed in the second quarter because there was a wet floor, and yeah, it was just one of those weekends, so not a whole lot going on, but this news was important to talk about because apparently, according to Bob Nightingale, there are Padres within the organization who are livid at Fernando Tatis Jr., and because Fernando Tatis hasn't been back to San Diego since he was suspended, he's he's talked to A.J. Preller, he's talked to some people, on the uh, like Bob Melvin, I'm guessing, he's talked to individual people, he hasn't been to San Diego since his suspension, which I guess was now last Friday, yeah, last Friday would have been when the Tatis suspension was on. Uh, Bob Nightingale, the words he used were absolutely livid and that it is straining some of the relationships within the Padres organization where people are genuinely not happy with him. And all of it still feels very paternalistic. And if you heard me talk about this last week, if you haven't, there's a, a really, it's the Morgan from Australia episode from last Monday. The A block of the show is 20 minutes talking about Tatis and this story, and I won't reiterate a bunch of the points that we talked about there. It's the idea that you have a group of white men in positions of power with the Padres who have a history of not being open to new ideas and have been accused of toxic work cultures and uh, under the management of A.J. Preller, there's been some issues within the Padres organization, and you have those people saying phrases like, personal accountability and maturity and uh, coded language, especially when we're talking about white people in positions of power and a 22-year-old player from the Dominican Republic who is very, very open about being proudly Dominican and proudly having flair and pushing back against the the conventional rules of baseball. Uh, I should play that, uh, that commercial that he did for MLB The Show with Fernando Tatis, where Fernando Tatis 
basically says they talk about the unwritten rules, but I'm here to break all of them and all of that stuff. Like someone who embraces being anti-establishment baseball and has embraced it for years and made a lot of money off of it, not just in the $340 million contract he got with the Padres, but endorsement deals like with Dairy Queen and with Body Armor and being the face of the show. I, I can't remember if it was Body Armor or Gatorade. One of those those um, like sports drinks that Fernando Tatis, I think it was Gatorade actually. Fernando Tatis did a national commercial for Gatorade. He's done national commercials for Dairy Queen. He's been on the cover of MLB The Show in which he's talking about breaking all the unwritten rules. Anti-establishment guy against the white people in positions of power. And I'm not saying AJ Preller's like the the stickler of the unwritten rules and whatever that is. Just the optics of him and the Padres shaming Fernando Tatis over the past 10 days and still having this be in the news to such a point where, you know, people within the Padres organization are livid. All of it feels paternalistic. It feels like they are treating Fernando Tatis like a child. And because they're treating Fernando Tatis like a child, they in this scenario are the parents. And by they, I mean specifically the white people in positions of power with the Padres. I know people are holding up the middle of the road statement Manny Machado made after Fernando Tatis got suspended. Um, But it's a lot of people who are kind of scrutinizing Fernando Tatis because it's okay to be the flair and flavorful guy. But then when you are the proudly Latin player who ends up getting suspended for PEDs and you're the proudly Latin player who falls off of his motorcycle. And we're going to talk about this more with Ryan as well. When you're that guy, it's harder for people to love you because they haven't seen you play in a year. And it's going to be a lot of negative publicity because you effed up in both of those situations. And I see a lot of people talking about personal accountability and maturity around this tattoo situation, not just with the Padres, also in media and It feels very much like, hey, young guy, we're going to treat you like a child, even though Fernando Tatis is the highest paid employee anywhere within the San Diego Padres facility. And it's either him or Manny Machado. Like it's a close one two. Fernando Tatis is the highest paid employee of this billion dollar corporation. Regardless of age, there is never a circumstance I would think in which Fernando Tatis Jr. should be treated like a child. This is a working relationship, and there's a middle ground to be had here where the Padres, first of all, should we shouldn't be knowing about how disgruntled the Padres are about this situation. We shouldn't be having uh, management publicly shaming Fernando Tatis Jr. after his 80-game suspension. That should not happen within a well-run organization, first and foremost. They, They should not hang out their player to dry in this situation regardless of what he's done this is a working relationship and if a working relationship is going to to foster growth and is going to be stable and both parties are going to come out of it feeling like they have a strong relationship with one another you do not hang your employee out to dry especially in this industry that is highly publicized and there's a lot of media coverage around this And it doesn't have to be enabling Fernando Tatis Jr. It also doesn't have to be disrespecting Fernando Tatis Jr. Because the the paternalism that I've seen around this case, like people talking about don't be a child, take some personal accountability, 
people say the same thing. I'm not saying everyone. I'm saying white old sticklers, old white men say the same thing about the unwritten rules of baseball. You're behaving like a child. You're be- and it's also coded language for Latin. And Fernando Tatis finds himself in the crosshairs of this again. And I know I said I wasn't going to repeat all the same stuff from last week. The point that I look to is why shouldn't Fernando Tatis take this as disrespect? If I were in that situation, and I am not a 22-year-old baseball player who is from Latin America and speaks two languages, I am not Fernando Tatis Jr. I'm saying if my employer were someone who hung me out to dry in such a situation, I would feel a bit disrespected. Not so disrespected where I would demand that I leave or not so disrespected that I don't want to work there anymore. Disrespected in a way that feels like, hey, you don't have my back in this situation. I know I messed up. I know I made a mistake. And Fernando Tatis hasn't spoken to the team about it. And that's probably something that he will with time because it's going to be hard for them to welcome him back without an explanation. I think if I'm reading Bob Nightingale correctly and I don't have direct quotes in front of me, you can subscribe to Bob's newsletter and read uh, what he had to say about the Padres on Sunday, is that people feel like this is still hanging over the team and the team is trying to push for the playoffs. And if I think a lot of players who might be livid about the situation feel like if Fernando spoke to them and Fernando cleared the air, I think that it would make it go away so that at the very least people didn't have to keep talking about it or didn't have to keep thinking about it. And perhaps that is true. I think that there's real promise to the fact that if the Padres had handled this correctly, which is, hey, Fernando made a mistake, he's going to be away from the team, and we will welcome him back in May with open arms. He is still one of us. He's still protected. He made a mistake, and we will support him in whatever the, the next eight months look like. If that is what the Padres do in the first place and Fernando speaks to the team, I think a lot of this story, staying in the news over the last 10 days and being a really bad look for Tatis and a really bad look for the Padres, I think that goes away. I think well-run organizations know how to handle that. Well-run organizations know how to support their employees and not leave them out to dry. The Padres are doing it wrong in that case, and that should feel disrespectful in some sense. Now, what level of disrespect, that's a whole different conversation. And uh, part of what Bob Nightingale wrote at the end is that the the Padres are, as, a, as management, because of the multiple infractions, are starting to think about what the future with Fernando looks like, as if they're having buyer's remorse on this contract a little bit, because Fernando hasn't spoken to the team. He's spoken to individual players, hasn't addressed it to everyone in the room. And as much as those players feel like they deserve an explanation from Fernando, expecting him to do it on his own schedule when you know, there's also reports coming out, including uh, Jerks and Profar who talked to him and reports that have come out in the last week that like Fernando Tatis is really just grappling hard with this situation. Like Losing this season and losing those 80 games and having the public shaming is really hitting him hard. And so eventually he will have to speak to the team. Eventually he'll have to speak on the matter as part of his welcoming back to the team, expecting it to be on your time schedule is something that I don't think those players are necessarily intending to do. It's just as this goes on and more mistakes get made and this story stays in the news cycle, uh, it's detrimental 
to the organization at large because the organization at large has not handled this situation well. And like I said off the top, there's a difference between disrespect and there's a difference between uh, the far end of the spectrum, which is enabling bad behavior, which I've seen both ends of the spectrum called out in this space where it's like the Padres are either enabling Fernando Tatis or they're disrespecting Fernando Tatis. And the, the answer is somewhere in the middle, closer towards disrespect because the Padres have hung him out to dry and, like we mentioned a bunch, have treated him very paternalistically. They've messed up in that respect. And with time, it will either fester into something worse or they'll end up coming together, talking about the situation, working through their problems, and the relationship will continue in a strong working relationship like most cases of business and most billion dollar corporations have to go through. And Fernando Tatis should be treated like this is a, a either a boss to employee situation or an employee to employee situation in an organization that protects those within that structure and when they make a mistake or when they uh, lie or when they get caught in something where they break trust. The answer is not, let's hang them out to dry, or the answer is not, you have to answer for this, we are exonerating ourselves in this situation. And because it's an infraction that's not so heinous, that it's worthy of Fernando Tatis being exiled from the team, like, PEDs are not that big of a deal. Because it's not such a major infraction, this is something where the organization including management and including the the people who are the bosses of Fernando Tatis while making like four times less money than Fernando Tatis. Those people should be protecting Fernando and should be building a strong working relationship so that we aren't still talking about this 10 days later about how incompetent the San Diego Padres have been in response to Fernando Tatis. Because we talked about last week, one mistake on that Friday where Preller goes to the microphone and, and you know, reports are confirmed now. The Padres didn't know about Tatis' suspension until Friday morning. It got announced Friday afternoon. Padres had to make a statement like six hours after they had found out Fernando was going to be suspended. So Preller goes to the microphone and he uses coded language like personal accountability and maturity and does all the paternalism stuff, which is even worse because it's a white leader with a proudly Latin player. All the coded language of race, all the coded language of paternalistic, hey, I'm the mature authority figure and you are the immature player and we need to correct that behavior. All the paternalism stuff around that that's should leave Fernando feeling disrespected in some aspects. They didn't know about it. They messed up. They have a chance to make up for it. And they have not made up for it. They've doubled down on these mistakes. It's still in the news stream. And everyone feels like they are messing this situation up. And it's one where I hate to see it because you can't drive away a 22-year-old superstar. Well-run organizations in which he signed a 13-year contract like 18 months ago. You cannot let that relationship just fall apart that quickly. You cannot let the relationship fall apart when you've signed this guy to a 13-year contract. And he's the greatest player the Padres have had since Tony Gwynn. And you should work to build strong relationships so that he feels loved, he feels protected, and that Fernando feels like he has room to grow as he becomes an older player. And then the work will be done by Fernando. All the organization has to do is just not make him feel shitty about himself and not hang him out to dry because that's not how you foster growth and how you foster strong working relationships and how you build strong organizational culture. 
uh, you can add that into the mix too. And yeah, the Padres have messed this one up real bad. And if I'm Fernando Tatis, there should be some level of disrespect that you've taken from this situation. There is no scenario in which an employee and an employer should have a paternalistic work environment. Even if you are father and child, or even if you are mother and child, you still should not have that paternalism or maternalism within the working environment. Like that's part of working together is that you are peers. You are people who are working together, building trusting relationships and trying to build a strong organizational culture in which bad behavior is not tolerated and at the same time allows for room to grow within the confines of your organization because people will perform better. People who are in safe, protected environments perform better. And uh, seeing this whole situation play out the way it has has been super disappointing for the baseball team that I want to win. Because again, Fernando Tatis is 22 years old and PEDs are not that big of a deal. It's a bigger deal in baseball than it is in other sports, certainly because of the history of baseball and PEDs, which by the way, we're going to talk about that a bunch more with Ryan coming up next. I've been talking like 10 minutes longer than I thought I would, so I'm actually going to just turn that over to Ryan so we can talk about PEDs and how PEDs are or aren't that big of a deal and talk about the history of that in our lifetimes because you know we were 13 years old when Alex Rodriguez was being chased across a parking lot in Miami by Pedro Gomez and he was being suspended 162 games for steroids and yeah, we'll we'll talk about that more with Ryan. So we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to play the Star Wars parody song. Or I guess it's not a song. It's just the intro to Star Wars. The Star Wars parody to, to the Padres and the Dodgers. And then we will be joined for the first time by King of Padres Twitter, Ryan Cohen. Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, 
Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. Yeah, I'm moving out of my, my college house back to, like, down south. Oh, my goodness. So, wait, where are you staying right now? I'm at, uh, I'm in Davis right now, and then I'm moving some stuff into my parents' place in San Diego, and then traveling for a little bit in September, and then I think I'm going to um, move to L.A., which I hate L.A., but it depends on this job, so we'll see. We'll see. I know what you mean, because, yeah. uh, th- I mean, this might be lore just for us, but I'm basically across town right now. We're basically recording in the same place because I am I am uh, I just graduated from UC Davis, too. Oh, no kidding. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, dang, yeah. I didn't know that. I'm over on Lillard Drive right now. So basically a de- little bit down from where the in and out is. Yeah, totally. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know you were here. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah so- I just graduated. I just graduated as well. Rad. I'm moving over to Sacramento in like literally two weeks. So a little bit easier to move. Yeah, that'll be cool. Good for you. Anyways, so we have the king of Padres Twitter joining us on the show. I realized I was recording earlier. So all of that will just be weird lore that people will get. But king of Padres Twitter, Ryan Cohen is here joining us on the show. He's been subtweeted by the Detroit Tigers before (laughs) and uh, has other Padres related stuff. This this might be a weird podcast because it's just going to be the two of us nerding out about the Padres a little bit because both from San Diego, both moved up to NorCal and uh, both of us are... I guess just re- watching baseball in the form of rooting for the Padres. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about it. All right. Uh, first place, I'm just going to start off because I, uh, I've i done my best many, many times to explain the San Diego sports curse to people. Can you do your best to explain the curse to anyone listening to the show? Let me start by saying I don't actually believe in curses. I really don't. But it just feels like every time something starts to feel good with the Padres, something bad happens. So you get baseball season back after being in a lockout and you're all excited. And then your best player is out for three months because of an injury. He didn't tell the team about you get one of the best players in the world. at the trade deadline. And then your other best player decides to get popped for steroids for 80 games. And that's just this year. You know, it's been going on for so long that even back to, you know, 2010, you have this magical run. You trade for a power bat in the form of Ryan Ludwig. Dude can't hit a lick when he gets over to San Diego. It's just, who do you By trade the way, away? that trade we gave Corey up for Kluber. Kluber. Exactly. So it's just the like, oh my gosh, it never ends. And I'm a firm believer in it's going to pay off. And when they win it all and have a sustained run of excellence, it will feel so much more special to fans like you and me who have been there for all the for all the bad. But while it's bad, it it hurts. It hurts a lot. 
and combined with the fact that uh the other part that's darker about the san diego sports curse is all your other teams will leave you and all of your sports heroes will die young that's the other dark part of the san diego sports curse it's not great it's not ideal but i'm focused on the padres they're what we got in town i hope they can sneak into the playoffs and, and make some sort of run yeah, I was thinking about that this week because I saw they're like a half game up on the playoff spot right now. I was like, my goal at the start of the season was just get us into the playoffs. Like, I'm cool with that. Uh, the problem with the wild card format is that you, if you're the five or the six seed, you have to win a series to get a home game. Because like this is the other part of the San Diego sports curse. They make the playoffs for the first time in our memorable lifetimes. And it's the COVID year, so no one's allowed in the stadium. So the Padres haven't played a home playoff game where people can actually go since we were like five years old. So I just want one at home this year. So that way I can go actually watch it. Like I will take time off work. I will go to San Diego to watch a Padres playoff game. But I just watching it and I'm like, it will never work out exactly right. But like you said, eventually it's got to pay off and it's going to be more special for San Diego because but we we lost two teams and haven't won a championship in 60 years. And I, I still think this is a playoff team. I still think we're going to get to watch them. And my whole thing is just get to the dance. The Braves won it all last year. They weren't the best team. The Nationals won it all in 2019. They weren't the best team. Just get there and, you know, get hot at the right time. And right now I'm not as confident as I'd like to be that they will get there. But I still think this is a playoff team. And, you know, get there and let's have some fun once they're there. I'm with you too, because even if they're like the sixth seed, that means they play the Cardinals in the first round of the playoffs. And that's at least a winnable series relative to playing the Braves or the Mets early in the playoffs. Like, just get that one. And then, you know, we get to celebrate just like what happened in 2020, which totally cool with that. Like, that's that will look like a success. And uh, someone was explaining to me how, like, the moves that they made at the deadline, even though Bell's a free agent and Jury's a free agent, they're actually geared for 2023. So next year will be the year we get to put all of our expectations into one basket and hope we win a championship. I, you know, I think with Soto, it gives you three chances to make a deep playoff run. And that's one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter on the planet. So you got him this year, get into the playoffs and let him show his talents off. Hopefully, hopefully next October. Manny's still hitting like he's hitting. Soto's still Soto. And you get, remember how wonderful Tatis is when he's on the field. Obviously, we're all a little frustrated with that situation at the moment. But, you know, if he's hitting what he's capable of doing and what he has done in the past, those three in a playoff run, I think it gives you a legitimate chance to win the World Series. And I still think you have a chance this year if you can just get to the playoffs and get hot at the right time. With a solid pitching staff and a yeah. bullpen that's solid. Solid kind of is just the way I'm describing it at this point. It's just we got a... A pitching staff that's pretty good, the bullpen that's pretty good. It might be a little expensive, but it's still good enough. It's good enough for a team that hasn't been good in a while. Just need someone on the pitching side to step up. And it was Musgrove earlier in the year. He was fantastic. He's still been good, but he hasn't been that like ace level for his last seven to 10 starts. And there's no one in the bullpen right now that they come in the game. I go, this is an automatic one, two, three inning. I think Josh Hader will get to that point. I think he's having some weird like mid-season struggles. And I'm excited for Pierce Johnson and Drew Pomeranz to come back. And I hope those guys can be what they have been in the past. But I need some, I need one starter and one guy in the bullpen to be like 
today we're getting seven innings. It's going to be shut out today. We're getting a one, two, three. inning. he's probably going to strike out two dudes. And then I'll feel a lot more confident pitching, pitching wise. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean because like when the nationals made that world series run, they were using like five pitchers, the entire world series, and you can compensate for having not great back ends of your bullpen or not great back end starting rotations. Once you get to the playoffs. And I think guys like Manaya and, you know, maybe, I don't know who else, Nick Martinez, those kind of guys, they step up more in a bullpen role. I think their stuff plays up a little bit in the bullpen, like we've seen with Martinez this year. So if you can use a Johnson, Pomeranz, Hader, Manaya, Morejon, and Martinez to get critical outs late in the year, and then you focus on, you know, hoping that Clevenger, Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove can go deeper into games, that's a pretty good formula. Um, you just need to get to that point. And if push comes to shove, you can always just move Blake Snell to the bullpen once the playoffs roll around and say, we're going to go three-man rotation. We're going to use an opener for one of these games. We're just going to like go all in on Darvish, Musgrove, Clevenger, just pitch long outings, go 100 pitches. Like you, We're riding or dying with those starting pitchers. Yeah, again, I think, I think this team is set up well for the playoffs. They just have to get there. And that's, I really, you know, there's a sense of like, oh, you know, you're supposed to be blowing every team out of the water. Like the Nationals, it's awful that they lost the Nationals yesterday. That was terrible. But if they had won that game two to one, great. I really don't care what the wins look like. It's just get me enough wins to get to the playoffs, and then you can do what you need to do. But I don't care what it looks like. You just have to win those games. And, like, yes, you got to win the next three. You can't split a home series with the Nationals. So it's a big weekend. Um, And on paper, they're the odds-on favorites by a lot, and they should take the next three. I mean, I think anything less than that is pretty frustrating. And it was happening earlier in the year, like when people are like the, the sign of a good team is beating up on bad teams like that was happening earlier in the year. They were beating up on Colorado. They were beating up on Arizona. It was just and even the Giants. They did pretty good against them. It was just now they're kind of in the middle where they're like, we're not as good as the three best teams. And we're kind of splitting those games between the bad to mediocre teams. And it's just not looking as solid as it was before. It's even if the team's basically the same, I know they switched up like a third of their offense, but like a good chunk of the team is still the same. Yeah. And I, I I think we're all scarred from last year a little bit and how awful that fall was, but I think this team is better. I really do. And maybe that's biased. I don't know, but I still have more faith that this team will get out of this little midseason funk and find a way to secure one of those wild card spots. You mean from August 11th onward, where they had a worse record than the Baltimore Orioles? <laughs> that that being the worst run of the most frustrating run of Padres baseball that has ever happened because we actually had expectations for once. But again, they were running out Vince Velasquez, Ross Detweiler, and Jake Arrieta, and this year. At least on paper, it should be better starting pitching and the offense looks better. So I know it's been frustrating these last couple of weeks. I'm right there with you. I've been very angry, but I I think this team will snap out of it. I really do. I do too. And I mean, obviously they're talking about the top of the order. The Padres have a deep order where like I bring up the Boston Red Sox a lot last year where people don't know how they went from like fourth worst record in baseball to ALCS to now being like not even in the playoff picture. And everyone on the team had like a plus like over a hundred OPS plus, even though one person wasn't like whooping up and like the Padres have Manny and Cronenworth's obviously an all-star, but even down the line a little bit, they at least have stability all the way through the lineup. And that's a bonus points, at least for the Padres. The Giants won 107 games last year because everyone was slightly above average and they had Buster Posey have an amazing year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all that was really the formula. So I, I agree with you. We don't need we don't need 
we have two MVP candidates in Soto and Machado. I mean, those guys are amazing. We don't need someone else to go off. We just need Josh Bell and Cronenworth and Drury to be hitting at like a 110 OPS plus, and we're good. And, you know, they're capable of that and more. So I, that's why my optimism is still high. Yeah, just play above average. That's kind of the, the goal there. Even Hassan Kim, who's now our full-time shortstop, and that'll be something that will be laughed at years from now for the Padres of how much we loved him for all those years. But even that's a fine piece. Like, everything's fine. <laughs> like I was saying, he's been good. The pitching staff. Yeah. He's been good. I mean, he's having a good year, Kim. They're fine. They'll be they'll be okay. It's just they're they're not the best by far team in baseball, and it's impossible to expect that at this point. Even with Tatis being in the lineup, it's still impossible to expect that because of what the Dodgers and Mets are doing. It's just hard to topple six of the ten best players in baseball being on the same two teams. I'd argue that Manny, Tatis, and Soto are three of the top fifteen, though. You know, like yeah. I, and obviously, it's so easy to just point the blame at Tatis and the frustration is boiling over there, but this team is really, really talented. And I still have a ton of faith in Bob Melvin. And I, I, I think it's going to work out. I really do. So, you know, that's the optimism in me, but. I, yeah. I the Bob so. Melvin, Bob Melvin was so fun when that happened. Cause like, remember when they fired Tingler, it was like, Oh, it's going to be like Ron Washington, or it's going to be like, I don't know who was the old diamondbacks manager. They were like, we'll take these people and put them as our manager. And then it was Bob Melvin. It was like, Oh shit, that was yeah. uh, not expected at all. And got everyone excited for like a month. Well, I've seen some people kind of bashing on Melvin lately. And at some point, I think you have to ask, like, is it really the manager? Cause you hated Bud Black. You hated Andy Green. You hated Jay Stingler. You finally get someone you supposedly like and Bob Melvin, and you still hate him. Like I, I'm sorry that I think Bob Melvin's a better manager than, you know, Joe Schmo on Twitter. I really do. And, uh, are there moves throughout on 162 game season that I don't agree with? Of course, especially when they don't work out. That's how it works. But I have full faith in Bob Melvin. And I think people who are giving up that faith on him, it's just kind of like, what, what do you expect out of a manager? Like, who are you looking for? Who's better? Cause if it's not Melvin, then I don't, like, who do you want? Like who's out yeah. there? Unless there's nobody you can find that's better. There's right. nobody you can find that's better. And Managers are about assessing personalities and stuff and like actually being a people person more than it is a baseball person, which is why Bob Melvin's super good at that job. He's done it in two different places for like 15 years. You're not going to find anything better than that because it was insane that he was even available in the first place. Yeah, my confidence in Bowmel hasn't hasn't wavered at all. I still think he's the right guy. He's going to be the Padres manager as long as he wants or until Preller inevitably gets fired in some weird ringer Ponzi scheme that gets him kicked out of San Diego. I hope not, man. AJ has put a ton of talent on the field and I know he has his flaws, but I I don't blame him for anything that happens this season. You go out and get Juan Soto and Bell and Drury and Hayter. And if they don't perform, it's not your fault as the general manager. I think he's accumulated too much talent and, I, I might be in the minority here, but I'm a huge AJ Preller fan and I want him to be around and I want him to see, I want him to see it out and see him get the success that he's earned. But that's just the way I see it. You know, most of the people I know from San Diego are big AJ Preller guys. And I think it's cause he makes big swings and big trades. And that's something that's never happened for the Padres. I don't like him though. I don't I, like, imagine how good we would be if we didn't trade Austin Nola. We got Austin Nola for Ty France and Taylor Trammell and, 
you know, they, they've messed up here and there, but altogether it's been fine. I just, he, he, he hits uh, some, he misses some. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, that's every general manager ever, you know, the, the Dodgers traded away Jordan Alvarez and I, the NOLA trade is awful. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not defending that. I think the Clevender trade in retrospect, probably an overpay, but I don't to come to San Diego. We got Tatis for literally nothing. And, you know, Cronenworth, what we Hunter Renfro, like there are all these. I think if you knock him for the bad ones, you have to give him credit for the good ones. And whether he lucked into a Jake Cronenworth or not uh, for Juan Soto to me, it's like, yeah, that's a successful draft. Yeah, it's it's strange for me just because he is like any other general manager for the most part. I just find it surprising that like San Diego loves him so much in like the opposite way of Bob Melvin. I'm like, you can find another AJ Preller. You might not be able to find another Bob Melvin, but you can find another AJ Preller. And I think that's kind of where I split with most of the Padres fans that I know. Most Padres fans are definitely in the pro uh, pro AJ Preller camp, it feels like, which is fine. Like he's. He hits some, he misses some. He's just like any other general manager. And you'll get seven years at the job just by hitting some and missing some and spending four years building up a good farm system, or I guess a great farm system in his case. For me, it's more about just, I want him to get to see the fruit of his labor. And I agree that there are other general managers out there that could probably do the job that he's doing, but he's been here so long and I want him to get that reward. I really do. And I hope it's this year. I think it can be. I think it can be. I get it. I, what did you make of him and the response with Fernando Tatis? Cause that was something that I felt like, even if you are, I mean, you're kind of his boss. I know like the owner writes the checks. So technically the owner is his boss. Like I felt like your boss should not be talking about like personal accountability and maturity to you in a public statement. Like even if you're pissed and even if you didn't know about it until the day of like, that's not really something that your boss should be doing with your like highest paid employee. If it were something that happened regularly, Fowler called out James Shields on the radio. I I don't think bosses should be doing that. But AJ Preller has been around since August of 2014 and has never, ever had any move of saying, I'm actually really frustrated. You have to make a difference. And if I go out publicly and say, yeah, you know, he's a young kid. He makes mistakes. That allowed Fernando to just kind of continue on the track that he's been going on. Whereas when AJ comes out in the media and says, Fernando's lied to us, I think that the pressure is where there's no doubts about where AJ and the front office stand. It, they've been wronged and they have been. And it's up to Fernando. Got in a motorcycle accident, which breaks contract, then lied about it then had a slower recovery time than he needed to, and then started to... I, I would love to believe the ringworm story. I think when things make sense, they make sense. He wanted to get back on the field. He started taking steroids to get back on the field quick. And, and you're not like, you know, pre-August 2022, you're not going to find a bigger Fernando Tatis fan. I mean, I love this guy. I got his posters in my wall. I got two of his jerseys, tons of his shirt. I love Tatis. I'm not here... But the track record for the last 12 months is that he's a liar and he's lied. And AJ's frustrated by that because it costs his team one of the best chances they've had to win a championship. And the fact that he goes out and publicly says that I have more respect for that than if he had just given some blanket statement. So does that kind of change the way that you feel about fandom for Fernando Tatis? Cause 
I've seen a lot of Padres fans who've kind of bailed on this like most exciting player and young face of the franchise guy because now you have Juan Soto and it feels like it's just an easy transition to make where it's like Tatis exists, but he's not the fan favorite that he once was. And it feels like a, a jump too far for myself. And I've also seen a lot of people who have made that leap. I've been struggling with that. And I don't think I'll have a great answer with that until he's back on the field. But I don't think I will ever have the love for him that I did last year and previously. I think I will still root for him and want him to succeed and enjoy his massive homers and his daring base running. And I will still enjoy him as a player. But that love of Tatis that I had where everything he did, he was this golden prince. And I can't believe he's a Padre. And Oh my gosh, I need my faces with his shirt on it and all his shirts with his face on it. I don't think that's going to come back. And I was willing to forgive the accident and I was willing to forgive the lying about the accident, but I think it's kind of three strikes and you're out in terms of my love. I'm still going to root for him. As long as it says Padres on the front and you didn't do something awful, like domestic violence or like, you know, DUI, like that's the type of stuff where I, I, I can't turn a blind eye to, but steroids doesn't harm anyone else. It's just you being stupid. And I, I will root for him 100%, and I, I hope that I'm able to consider myself a big Tatis fan again. But right now, I have such frustration with the way he handled this whole season and the way it's costing my favorite team that I don't think that like unbounded love will ever return for him. So it's kind of everything for you. It's everything that's gone on over the last 12 months that have kind of just like each little notch of the like, Hey, this is kind of messed up has kind of just like drained the energy from you where it's like, it's not really worth it to keep standing behind him. Well, you know, say, let's say that he had gotten, you know, blown his ACL out and like, like Acuna did. Right. And he had to miss the whole year for completely baseball reasons. I think you lose some of the, you know, if you don't see him play for a year, you forget how amazing he is and you lose some of that love you had. So I haven't seen him play for a year now. So that would happen no matter what. And then you add on the frustration of the accident and then add on the immense frustration of the cheating. That's what it is. Steroids is cheating. And, you know, I'm personally in a camp that I, I, I believe he's lying. I don't trust him. He's not someone that I trust. And, you know, so it's, I feel like I've been lied to and I don't get to watch him play and it's harming my favorite team. So it's all that stuff together where it's like, yeah, I I don't, I don't share that love for him that I had previously and I I hope I can get it back because he's a fun player and he's fun to watch and he should be the face of the sport but he made his legacy he changed his legacy forever okay that's that's a fair point to push it at and uh, like I don't go that far because I probably don't have that same relationship where I'm like oh I'll buy your jersey oh I love watching you play oh I'm glad you're a padre I guess I just didn't put him up on the pedestal like maybe I have with other athletes. And so for me, it's like, ah, tough break, but you'll be a 23-year-old superstar when you come back who will like keep entertaining me and will help make my baseball team good. I think I've just become cynical at this point also because when he signed the 13-year contract, I was like, ah, well, he'll only see four or five years of that deal. But, you know, pretty cool even still. They'll they'll trade him eventually, but at least he got that record-setting contract. I, I think maybe like cynicism has played a part where I'm like, oh, he tested positive for steroids. That sucks for the baseball team. It doesn't really have uh, much for me with the character, I guess, or like the the person himself. And yeah, so I, I think I, I understand people. 
I think we viewed him a little different because in terms of athletes on a pedestal, he was by far my number one. And I mean, like my friends here in Davis who have never watched a game of baseball in their life know who Fernando Tatis Jr. is because I would not shut up about him. And like he, <laughs> I would brag about him and I would like make googly eyes at him, like jokingly, but I love Tatis. And for him to have this fall from grace and harm the team hurts. It sucks. It really, really sucks. And I, I'm trying to stay positive about it, but I don't know. And I, I've done a pretty good job of compartmentalizing where I don't like let it affect my mental health or anything. But anytime I start thinking about baseball again, it, I was so excited to watch him play. And then less than a week before that, he gets the worst possible news. I mean, it popped for 80 games. And yeah, I mean, I, when he signed that 14 year deal and I still believe this, I think he's going to play all 14 years in San Diego. I really do. Like I believe in this ownership. I believe that he wanted to be here. So I, I didn't share that cynicism and you were probably right. I mean, looking at where we're at now, I'm not saying I was in the right, but at least at the time I thought, hell yeah, we locked up our franchise superstar. Who's the face of the game. Who's one of the most talented players in the world, if not the most talented and he's ours. And now I got this sense of dang, like all those kids that wore Tatis jerseys for Halloween, were they representing a cheater? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were. And like, that's tough to stomach. That sucks. Yeah. And you talked about like being a Padres fan can be really difficult in that way. Cause like when I was a kid, I was like all in on those, like Kristen Orfeo, Will Venable, Alexi Amarista, like teams that never had a chance, but it was like San Diego's team. So it's like, I'm going to watch 80 games a year. I'm going to like really get invested in this team, even though they're not great. It's still fun when, I don't know, like Derek Norris hits a walk-off grand slam. And that's like, the, the oh, you were at that game. Oh, yeah. Like when that happens, you're like, oh my God, this is so cool. And like that pure, like, I guess pure in a way of like, the result doesn't matter. You just enjoy watching sports and like really spend a lot of time investing in this thing. And I guess I just, I haven't gotten to that place, even knowing how good the Padres are, I think, because no matter how good they're going to be, when I was a kid, it was like Padres fandom was like on par with like Dodgers hatred. And I think that same thing was like, just get us over the Dodgers, get us over the Dodgers just one time. And I, I think after a while, I realized it like wasn't worth the effort that I was putting in. And so like when the Dodgers won the World Series in 2020, I was like, I thought this was going to hurt a lot and it didn't. And I thought that the Padres losing to the Dodgers in 2020 in the playoffs would hurt and it didn't hurt the way I thought it would. And I think since then, I've not put the the team on up on a pedestal the way I did as a kid, which maybe that makes it like not as pure of a sports fandom as like other people might have it. But it just makes it so I, I don't feel the same like pain and like your mental health takes a hit for three days because you just lost your best player. And I guess those are like the benefits of like being emotionally stable as a fan. Yeah. And I'm, I'm never, ever going to tell someone how to fan. I think it's like a fun part of your life and however you want to do it. Good for you. I, from what it sounds like, I think I definitely, I don't have any hobbies other than baseball and I love major league baseball and specifically the Padres, as you know, but I do take it hard because it's like when I'm, my free time goes into either watching baseball, listening to baseball podcasts, reading about baseball, so when the Padres are bad, that takes away the joy of my free time. And 
for all the flaws of those early 2010s teams, it was easy to root for Will Venable and Chris Norfia and Nick Hundley because they were they weren't good, but you know, damn it, if they weren't nice guys, and they mm-hmm. were always in the community. And I still feel that way about this team, where I love these guys. Like I love Juan Soto, I love Manny Machado, and I love Fernando Tatis Jr. So it feels like I've been in a weird way and like on a much, much lesser level, but it feels like you've been cheated on where it's like, I trusted you. I put so much love and energy into you. And then you go behind my back and start using steroids because you <laughs> fell off a motorcycle earlier in the year. It, it, it feels like a backstab and that hurt. That's what hurts. And I want them to win games on like on the field, hundred percent. That's what it comes down to. If they win, they win, but you also build these, you know, parasocial relationships where you feel like these are your people. You watch them every day, you see them on TV. And then when they don't show you that same loyalty in return, it hurts. I mean, that sucks. That totally sucks. And it's a connection to the place where you come from. Like right. that there's that right. also part of it. It's like, we are all in this together. There's this whole community from where we're, where we come from. That's all in on this thing together, which is why it's a cool part of sports fandom. It matters a lot to a lot of people. And I get the the being a huge baseball fan with your free time. That's how you become the king of Padres Twitter <laughs> is by really, really liking the Padres and liking baseball. Let me make it clear. You're the one saying that. I never said that about myself. Just No, to, no, of yeah. course. <laughs> I'm the one saying that this is Ryan Cohen, king of Padres Twitter, joining us on the podcast, <laughs> who has been subtweeted by the Detroit Tigers before. Yes, that, that was funny, too, because I was that when that happened, I was I didn't have service. I was at a summer camp. And I get back and I see life is better when the Tigers win. What in the world? The Padres old social media guy now works for the Tigers. So I texted him. I was like, this was you, right? He's like, yeah, 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 for sure. And he made a nice donation to the camp that I work for. So I, He's like, this is the price of me stealing your captions. I said that. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, that's very cool. Funny. I, I didn't know the backstory behind that. That yeah. makes it even better. So I, it was definitely intentional. There was no... Uh, there was no, oh, this was a mistake. It was pretty funny. He's just giving you a shout out because he knows you from Padres Twitter. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> oh, was that's cool. freaking awesome. Okay, I there was something that you brought up like 10 minutes ago that I want to circle back to when we were talking about cheating. What was your reaction with the Astros scandal? Because I feel like yeah. this might be informing a little bit. That's a good question. Um, let me start with one place and I'll go to another. But the one nice thing about the Tati situation versus the Astros situation is I can funnel my anger at one player. Whereas if the Padres as a whole were deemed as cheaters, like the Astros were, I think I would have a lot tougher time because I consider myself a Padres fan over a Tatis fan, over a Machado fan. Like I am a fan of the Padres. And if those guys get traded or leave, you know, I'll still root for them on some level, but we'll never be the same because I love the Padres. So the fact that it's not an entire team scandal changes it a bit for me. Um, I was mad at the time in 20, when did that come out? 2019. Yeah. 2019. And and then punishment was like January, 2020. Right. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly how I felt. I, I don't think I have a hatred for the Astros as much now as I did then. Like, for example, in 2020, I I had already bought tickets to go watch the Astros play the A's in Oakland with a few friends and we were going to boo the Astros and. I don't think I would do that now. I don't have that same hatred. Uh, I don't know. The Astros situation is complicated. I, I, I think it was cheating. I mean, they've all owned up to it. I don't like that none of them were punished. I thought that some players should have been punished. And I thought the immunity thing that – I thought Rob Manfred just handled it poorly. 
um, which you can say about a lot of stuff. <laughs> and for I, I guess I would feel a lot worse if the Padres as a team were caught in a cheating scandal than if the Padres' best player was caught for steroids. And it sucks because he was my favorite player and he's the face of the team and the face of the league in a lot of ways. But I can still 100% root for the 2022 Padres without Tatis on them. Whereas if they were in the midst of a scandal as a team, that would change the way I look at the whole season. Okay, that, that's very informative in that respect because it is a totally different situation to try and process. Like you, Your team has been granted immunity. You feel like you've gotten away with something in the respect that baseball just miscalculated. Like, we want to find information, so we're going to give players immunity. Ah, shit, it was all the players who did this. Oh, we really just messed that up bad. <laughs> um, let's let's uh, just fire the GM and fire the coach and we'll call it a day. And yeah, I feel like that was just a, a weird situation where baseball fans got weirdly passionate about the cheating side of it. And then because of that, Manfred was like, oh, we got to punish someone for this. Who who can we get as like we've done our job to like try and deter this behavior? And I feel like that's a lot different than steroids because like steroids have been part of baseball and talked about in baseball our entire lives like every every few months it's a Barry Bonds Roger Clemens conversation in baseball Twitter and on baseball programming like it, it's just part of the conversation now and this is was totally different I will say regarding steroids that when we were growing up every time anyone hit a homer people would be oh he's on steroids or if you saw anyone strong oh he's on steroids and I feel like that conversation had dissipated over the last few years because outside of aging veterans like Cano and guys who were kind of past their prime, there weren't many steroid busts, um, you know, since basically A-Rod in like 2013. So for it to be a 23-year-old superstar, ignore the Padres for a second. Ignore that he's my favorite player. Pretend it's Ronald Acuna Jr. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's a young superstar who gets popped for steroids I think it hurts the entire game because now you're going to have people just making their stupid little comments about, oh, that was hit 450 feet. He must be on steroids, just like Tatis. And that sucks. And the fact that players that are doing it completely legally are getting lumped into that conversation, brutal. And I personally, again, I don't have any evidence. I personally don't think Tatis was cheating while he was on the field the last three years. I think he cheated to get back on the field quicker. And that's when he started using steroids. I don't think anything he did is a product of his cheating, but for the rest of his career, he did something to cheat the game. And that doesn't like go away in my head. And I think a lot of fans kind of forgive guys. I don't think a lot of fans now know about like Nelson Cruz or even D Gordon um, or like Logan Webb got popped for 80 games. I don't think most people know about that, but at least for me, as soon as I hear a suspension, I really struggle to let that go in my head. And you know, Yasmani Grandal has had an amazing career and done a lot of good things, Dodgers, White Sox, and otherwise. But I still remember him getting popped as a Padre. And that doesn't leave me. I, I still have a frustration about that. And I think I'm going to feel that way about Tatis for a really, really long time. A really long time. Yeah, that seems difficult because that is the guy. And that was the person who was being sold to us for years. Like, this is going to be the best player on the Padres for a decade. And Obviously, having Juan Soto makes it easier now. But like you said, you don't see a lot of 23-year-olds getting popped for steroids 
even though it, yeah, like you said, it's pretty clear. Tatis was not cheating. He got hurt. He used steroids to help heal, just like Andy Pettit got busted for. And now he's got to serve the suspension, which I guess I have an easier time than most Padres fans just saying you'll serve your suspension and then you're good. Like tough break baseball's PED policy is like kind of like clockwork now just because they've done it so many times over the last 20 years that it's like got the test 80 games boom and we move on from it like you said I mean even I forgot Logan Webb and Yasmani Grandal and Grandal was on the Padres but those are names that like big names that we kind of just like let go after a while but for baseball has this weird thing where they hang on. They remember who the, the drug cheats are because uh, eventually it'll impact hall of fame status where it won't in other sports. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, I had something I wanted to say, but I forgot it, but no, it's all good. The, yeah, the it's, that one's a weird situation for them to be in just as a team. Cause it seems like a polarizing situation, not where it's a point where like, oh, Tatis is going to be so unhappy that like they won't welcome him back or it won't ever be the same like that. But it just feels weird because it's been the Padres and Tatis have kind of messed this up real bad. I'd say Tatis is camp more than the Padres, but like it feels like this became a larger story than it needed to be because no one was prepared and they kind of messed up the initial rollout from the public relations side. And I put that on the pod or on Tatis's side. I, th- I think the Padres were just as blindsided as you as I were. And going back to the emotions of it all, time heals all wounds. I think come next May when he's on the field, I will feel differently than I do right now. But, you know, I was watching last night and last night was supposed to be his first game of the season. And they lost by two runs to the Nationals. It's hard to convince me that they don't win that game without Tatis, both energy on the field and the talent that he brings. And it's still raw for me, man. It hurts. Like, it really hurts that he's not here. So I I hope that I'm able to get to the point where you're at, where it's he served a suspension. I'm ready to roll with him. But I'm not there yet. And I think it's going to take a little bit more time. Oh, I get what you mean. It's probably more fun to be in your position than it is for mine. The the emotionally stable sports fan <laughs> doesn't seem to be as fun as the person who's really invested because I have no like concern saying whenever the Padres make the World Series or, or hopefully win the World Series at some point, it's probably going to be way more enjoyable for you because you've invested so much over the years, not to say that like I haven't invested like thousands of hours into this baseball team in my life, but like compared to you, it's, it's going to mean so much more once it does pay off. Well, and I think I've been saying this for a long time. When the Padres do win the World Series, there are all these new fans who have jumped on board. And I love that they're there. I love that Petco is sold out every night. It makes such a fun buzz. And it's so fun watching people pick up the love for the team that I've had for so long. And I'm so proud of that. And when they win the World Series, the fan that joined in 2020 and I will be standing right next to each other in the gas lamp, partying our butts off and having a blast. And if you just were to look at us, you would say, wow, look at those two huge Padres fans that are loving it. And it means the same to them. But I know right here and right here internally, it will always mean more to me. It always will because I watched so many of those bad hours and so did you. And is it the healthiest way to go about it? No, probably not. And am I saying that everyone should be a fan like I am? No, I actually don't. (laughs) I I think that'd be bad for you. But I do know that when they make a deep playoff run, when they win it all, it's just going to mean more to me than it will to other people. And that's what I kind of fall back on where the pain of 
losing a Tatis or losing a game to the Nationals or whatever it is, the labor of our love will reward us soon enough and it's going to pay off. It will. For sure. And I'm going to say the same thing, like being a sports fan, however you want to be a sports fan is like most important. You said that earlier. You don't want to be a sports fan like me either. I treat this shit like a job and (laughs) that it's not going to feel the same to other people when this is like a job and I'm doing like deep in-depth analysis of sports. It's not going to feel the same to someone else. So you still have the love there. And like you said, everyone's going to be arm in arm at a championship parade that has like 2 million people and breaks all kinds of records. Like it, it'll be cool. It, it, it'll it just feel different for everyone. And that's just based on how much you're investing. And like the goal is to win a championship and I'm going to invest thousands of hours in following the team, hoping that I get one, get to be entertained along the way, but then, you know, reach the ultimate goal of breaking the curse, winning a championship, whatever else it's going to be. Things that like, yeah i see i see you crossing your fingers there like even saying it is just like just come on it's got to happen it's got to happen in our lifetime but you know it it will work out and whenever it does everyone's going to have different emotional reactions because everyone fans differently right well and i just hope that this wave of new fans that they've gotten i mean peko is selling out every night that is so cool that's so cool and if you had told me that four years ago when I was in high school, I wouldn't believe you. I certainly wouldn't believe Manny Machado and Juan Soto <laughs> were on the team, but you know, I wouldn't believe any of it. And I just hope that they don't lose these new fans because they fail to make the playoffs in back-to-back years. And even if they don't make a huge deep run this year, I think simply making the playoffs will justify a whole new wave of fandom that will stay longer because of it. And you have a golden opportunity right now. The window is wide open. You got to do it. It's got to be now. And I mean, not to just bring it back to him every single time, but that's another reason I'm so frustrated with Tatis is because of this year specifically. And I, I don't know. I just, I know how many of the friends that I have from high school or my brother's friends who still live in San Diego that, you know, borderline mocked me for being a Padres fan in high school. Like, how do you root for such a bad team? Mm-hmm. And now they're texting me every night. You know, they're texting me pictures from Petco and, they got their jerseys and I have a friend who just moved to San Diego. He's like, should I get Musgrove or Darvish? And I'm like, that's up to you. Like, you know, they're both great. <laughs> I love that. It makes me so proud. So proud. And when they trade for Juan Soto, I got a hundred texts that day from all these different people who are like, okay, who's Juan Soto or wow, we got Juan Soto, the best on base percentage, you know, the fandom ranges, but it's so cool. And I just, I love how much people care about them now because I feel like I get to share this joy that I have. And I don't want to lose them because they miss the playoffs. So I love baseball. I love the sequencing of a fastball to a curveball. I think that part's all great. But for me, this like deep rooted love is because of the love of San Diego and the love of community. And it's building right now. And it's like, I feel like it's reaching the apex where if you don't win, it's going to fall off. But if you win, it's only going up and up. And it's, it's pretty special. I know exactly what you mean because uh, I went back to San Diego for a few days and that happened to be when the Juan Soto trade happened. So the first game when they, they, I wasn't there, but I'm watching it with my grandparents and they like sell out the stadium. And in the first inning, everyone's like standing and yelling and Mark Grant's on the broadcast. And he's like, this has never happened in 25 years of watching the Padres. I've never seen this before. And then Drury hits the grand slam and it's like, oh, that's like one of the coolest sports moments I've ever had. And it's just like a regular season game in August. But 
when you have that sense of community, when you have that sense of like love for San Diego and love for this team that you were going to watch when it was like Kevin Kuzminoff batting cleanup for a team that wins like 72 games, like that to now and like the thousands of hours invested in between is like, yeah, you love this thing. You love this product. And even if you're not living there anymore, you still have that connection to where you're from and that like weird sense of community where they're selling out a ballpark and everyone's yelling and screaming. And it's like, if not like the biggest game of the year, like the biggest moment in San Diego since Tatis hit that home run against the Cardinals and like flipped the bat that ended up being on the the MLB, the show cover, like moments like that are the ones that you can look back and be like, even if it's not a championship, you still have that same love and emotional, like that really awesome feeling. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I was worried about coming up to Davis as a freshman four years ago was people would ask like, Oh, do you think you're still gonna love the Padres as much? And I was like, yeah, no, I definitely will. What I didn't think is that I'd end up loving them more. Um, and being away from San Diego, I, it's like this connection to home and where I grew up and, there are a lot of friends from high school that I probably wouldn't still be in touch with if we didn't, you know, like we start talking to each other because of Manny Machado's home run. And then we're like, Oh, by the way, how's, you know, how's college? How's this? And that's really cool. And I don't, I, I love that. I, that's why I love this team so much. And those moments like the Drury Grand Slam, I, I even think back to Caratini's walk off on the opening reopening day last year. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. And the playoffs are only going to magnify that. And I think that's why I care so strongly about making the playoffs because it's just going to, if there's a playoff game at Petco Park, if there's a playoff win at Petco Park, place is going to be buzzing. And it's oh, just, it's I think that's so, so cool. cool. Cause that's, that, so cool. that's the thing I was telling my friends in high school where it was like, yeah, if the Padres ever make the playoffs, cause this was back when they had like Margot and, and Renfro and they were like talking about rebuilding the team and, and they were building up this farm system. It's like, if there's ever a playoff game in San Diego, of course I'm going to come back. Of course we're all going to go. And of course we're, we're going to like celebrate when they win. Now, of course it was during the pandemic, but it was that moment all over again. And it was like, yeah, of course all of that's going to happen. That's the whole point of being a Padres fan is to have those moments. And yeah, it, it's super exciting that even still those, those ideas are still there. And even as I've like changed as a sports fan and changed as a person, I've still got that connection and, and all the, the emotional fun feelings around that baseball team. It's special stuff. And I, I just hope that we get to see that run. I really do. I do too. Well, I appreciate you spending the time today, Ryan. Uh, I guess just follow your Twitter. There's a link in the description to this episode. Uh, the, the King of Padres Twitter is uh, is an account you should be following. Padres fans, more likely, but even if you're not a Padres fan, it's kind of fun to, to follow Ryan's Twitter account. It's very fun. So uh, good luck to you in, in your trip back down to San Diego. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. I love talking to Padres, so it's always a blast. And yeah, you know, but we'll see where the rest of this year goes. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. We're getting there slowly, but steadily, but we're still in the playoffs. That's all I asked for at the start of the year. It's been a weird road to get there, but it's still the same place where it's like, just get us to the playoffs. Now take out Tatis, add in the the modern equivalent of Stan Musial and yeah, just a weird season so far, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun down the road. Sounds good to me.